Hi, welcome to the Ask Pastor Dennis podcast. This is episode 16, and this week our question is, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? And now here's Pastor Dennis with his response. Okay, this is a good question because um, I remember being a little this um, when I was a freshman in college. I would hear that terminology, spirit-filled. And, um, you know, I just assume that all believers are spirit-filled. Um, but really, when most people use this term, it, it really is just a synonym. It means the same thing as just being a charismatic, you know, theologically charismatic or, or Pentecostal or something like that. And um, so, actually, you know, I don't like it because it implies that just charismatics are spirit-filled. <laughs> so I just want to say right off the bat um, that even though it is used as a synonym for charismatic, I I, I don't prefer it for that reason, right? That um, I do believe you can be non-charismatic and be filled with the Spirit. I do believe that that is possible. Um, but I want you to understand the terminology and, and how it's used. Now, what it means to be a spirit-filled believer or to be a charismatic or, bat or um, Pentecostal believer is that we believe theologically that there is a um, experience that believers can have post-conversion um, where the Holy Spirit touches a person. We call this the baptism of the Spirit, and they're filled with Him in a way that helps them do two things. Number one, live a holy life. Okay, and number two, um, minister with power. Okay, so those are the two things. Now, there's a there's a history here. Pentecostalism came out of um, originally Methodism, and John Wesley taught this doctrine called um, entire sanctification. And the idea was that believers could have this experience with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit touched them and entirely sanctified them in a moment. Now, I think his theology was a little bit off here. Okay, I don't think that that's actually true, but I understand why he thought that. And what it was is I think he had an experience where the Holy Spirit touched his heart and he felt a grace to live a holy life. He no longer wanted to do the sinful activities that he had wanted to in the past. He um, felt like he had a power to refrain from the sin that he felt powerless to refrain from before. Okay, Now that, you know, Methodism became the holiness movement. And the holiness movement, that's what they taught. You could have a, a, a an experience with the Holy Spirit that gave you power to be holy, to live a holy life, right? And out of that came the fire-baptized holiness movement, right? And out of that came the Pentecostal movement. So you can see that um, there's this progression of ideas, but they're all describing a similar um, event. And they all had this um, experience where they would be touched by God and they would have power to live holy lives, and they would have um, a fire in ministry or a passion um, to minister to others, okay? So I think, you know, this is all part of the same things. Now, what the Pentecostals added was they added this new understanding that um, when you had this experience with the Holy Spirit, um, it was evidenced by the gift of tongues. You could speak in either heavenly tongue or a foreign tongue, um, and that was, the, that was the sign gift. That was the gift that showed that a person had been baptized by the Spirit, okay? Um, that was, you know, early Pentecostal theology. Now, our denomination is, is the Assemblies of God, so we do believe this as a denomination. But if I can be honest, I don't know if any of our pastors believe that. And that's because um, there have been three waves of um, 
charismatic renewal. Okay, so first wave is the Pentecostal revival. Second wave is the charismatic renewal. And the third wave is like the latter rain movement, which is characterized mostly by the vineyard. Okay, the vineyard movement um, and the theology that came out of there became kind of the, the, the third wave um, Pentecostal um, theology. And one of the one of the hallmarks of the third wave is this idea that there's not just one baptism of the Spirit that believers are to speak, but we believe in, in, in you can be filled multiple times, right? And so you can seek multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit, and that's what I believe. And that um, tongues is not the one gift that shows that you've been baptized in the Spirit, but tongues is one of many gifts, right? That basically not all believers have to have the gift of tongues. Okay, and and again, I believe in in this also. Okay, and again, this is um a, this is in conflict with our denomination, um, but it doesn't seem like this is really um you know enforced too strongly in the denomination these days. Okay, so uh, I'll say this, and the reason I I want to give a little bit of theology on this is so that we understand where this is coming from. The reason why I believe that this is more biblical and more accurate, um, specifically in First Corinthians twelve, at the end of the chapter, um. Paul is making this point in 1 Corinthians 12, and he's, and he's basically saying we're, we're different, and we're, per, we're gifted in different ways. Um, we need one another, and it's only in the, um, the corporate, the conglomerate of all believers that we see a, rob, a, um, a mature church, right? The way the church is supposed to look as the body of Christ. So he likens this to one person is gifted like the eye, and that person can see. And, this, and the eye needs the foot, and the foot needs the eye, and we all need one another. And at the, at the end of chapter 12, he says this in verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping, of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. And verse 29 says, Are apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Okay, so he's asking a rhetorical question there, and I think, you know, it seems very reasonable to me that he's assuming that you're going to answer no to all those questions, okay? Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Why? Because his whole point of the entire chapter is that we need those who are gifted differently than us, right? And um, and he specifically says, do all speak in tongues? And I think the answer is no. Um, now, some of my Pentecostal friends will get mad at me for saying this, um, but I think it, it, like, I've heard some of the explanations for this verse, I think they're pitiful. I think they're really bad explanations. I think um, it seems pretty obvious to me that from this verse alone, we should understand that not every Christian is supposed to have the gift of tongues. Okay. Now, I will say this, though, because Paul ends that section saying, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so there is a sense in which we should be seeking after more gifts than we have right now. I think that's the implication, and he's going to follow that up in 1 Corinthians 14, saying, you know, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So there's a sense in which he's telling us we need to pursue um, gifts that we don't have yet right now, and he makes a distinction. He says that some of these gifts are greater than other gifts, and in particular, he says that prophecy is a greater gift, um, and, he, and he contrasts that with tongues, and he says that we should all basically be seeking to prophesy. And so, just to be consistent, I think we should we should clarify that all of us should be seeking gifts. I pray. For, look, I pray for all the gifts. 
<laughs> I think, why not, right? And my mentality here is that I don't think that um, the gifts that Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 12 is meant to be comprehensive. I believe it's, me it's meant to be representative, meaning he's only listing a handful of the gifts, and he's saying the gifts are like this. And, but in, in truth, there's like way more gifts than he's lift, listing there. And I think with that spirit, um, we can understand that we can be gifted in a, in a lot of different ways. And we all have a different gift mix, but we can seek after more and more gifts. And we see evidence in the scriptures that we can have an impartation of a gift, right? Paul tells Timothy, um, fan into flame, the gift laying on of hands. Right, so there was an impartation of gifts from the elders, um, of probably the church, and you know, they, he received an impartation of gifts, and and that was just laying in there. So there are ways to get and we eagerly after those things. Okay, so let me close this, you know, answer section with this. We're saying, you know, what does it mean to be a spirit-filled Christian? I would say, in its essence. It means that it's one that believes and expects the Holy Spirit to move in supernatural ways today. I don't think it's impressive if you have charismatic theology, meaning you believe the gifts of the Spirit for today, but you are so cautious about the gifts that you essentially discourage everyone from ever seeking a problem with that mentality, okay? The open but cautious variety of being a charismatic. Like, you're a technical charismatic, um, but you don't obey, <laughs> right, what Paul says about eagerly desiring the gifts. I see a major problem there, and look, I'm just going to be really blunt about this. This is why I don't recommend guys like John Piper and some of these newer, you know, these, these technically charismatic <laughs> reform guys. Look, I love them. I think they have a lot of great teaching, but I do not, I, I think that the open but cautious um, you know, platform is is so unbiblical because it goes against the heart of what Paul's saying. His point is is not just yeah they exist. His point is no, we need them, eagerly desire them, pursue them. Do not forbid speaking tongues. Do not um, despise prophecies. Right? He says they're so important. He gives a picture of when un when an unbeliever comes in your midst. You know that you prophesy over him, and the secrets of his heart are laid bare. And he says, surely God is among you. This is in First Corinthians. Paul talks about this. So to be a spirit-filled believer means that we're actively seeking after the gifts of the Spirit. We're believing for God to move in powerful ways. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm not just talking about it, but I'm actively practicing it. I'm trying um, to move in the power and in the gifts of the Spirit. That, to me, um, is a spirit-filled believer. That's not the only thing, right? But in practical terms, I think that's really what this is about. Now, just to clarify real quick at the end, um, it doesn't have everything to do with the gifts. I always make this point in my preaching that, you know, the number one sign of being spirit-filled in the Bible is having boldness, okay? Every time it, it talks about somebody being filled with the Spirit, what happens is a great boldness comes upon that person. We see that with David when he's confronting Goliath. We see that, you know, with Samson. We see that um, with, with in, a, in a number of various, you know, with, with Peter, filled with the Spirit, addresses the crowd um, in, you know, Acts 1 or 2, right? So the boldness 
is the most biblical clear sign of someone being filled with the Spirit. So I absolutely believe, you know, someone like Billy Graham, who wasn't a practicing Pentecostal or charismatic, right? But pretty clearly, I think he was filled with the Spirit because you see this incredible boldness on him where he's declaring the, the, the Word of God, and that to me is an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. So I just want to clarify that, but make a distinction between how that word, that, that term is used um, in our Christian culture today. Great answer from Pastor Dennis. <laughs> yeah, there's not too much I can really say after that, but I think it's really important. You know, sometimes people can uh, characterize charismatics as only being after the spiritual gifts, not after the gospel, not after anything else. Um, and I think that's a false characterization. We're just trying to re-emphasize um, the fact that it seems like the New Testament really does emphasize us to earnestly desire to seek after these things. And why not? I think it. I've seen it in action personally of how it can really transform people's lives, how it can really open people's hearts to the gospel. Um, and it's a powerful gift and a tool that the Lord gives us. And so, yeah, let's keep earnestly desiring to be uh, spirit-filled. And we hope that this podcast can really benefit you and help you as you encounter other brothers and sisters who may not quite understand what this means. Um, so yeah, if you have any more questions, please email them to us at burningtreetkc at gmail.com. We love your questions. I'm your host, Nick King, and we'll see you next time.